0: Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to our 11 o'clock service on this, the fourth Sunday of the season of Lent welcome to those of you in the room many more we know who are joining us online it's good to worship god together in this way my name is james howell i'm one of the pastors here i'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague dr uyan kim so
1: grateful to be here all of us could have been somewhere else with someone else but instead we are here this day to praise our lord together uh, what a blessing that is we welcome all of you especially if you're a relatively near or first-time visitor uh, may you may all of us encounter the grace-filled presence of god of this day. Let us know who you are, how we can connect with you. In the back of our bulletin, there's a QR code you can use. There's a physical hospitality pad at the end of your pews. There's a virtual hospitality link that you can click on to let us know how we can pray for you and to give you the ministries of our church as we journey onward in Lent. A couple of things we wanted to point out for you there's the This Week e-newsletter and the Bolton insert with all the information. We have a, a special guest speaker tomorrow at 7 p.m. in Jubilee Hall, Karen Gonzalez. She was one of Dr. Howe's podcast guests some time ago. She was lovely, and she's here with us now in person. We hope to see many of you there tomorrow at 7 p.m. We also have Our March collection for school and children, the list of things that we are collecting is in your bulletin on this uh, week's e-letter. So please check that out. Okay, so it is good that we are here. So blessed to be here. Let us continue to prepare our hearts for worship this day. What? Let us be united in one voice as we profess the Christian faith and the faith of the Christian church through the Apostles' Creed as printed in our bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead,
0: it is our great privilege and joy of the service to celebrate the sacrament of Holy Baptism. Macy and Michael Heinz bring their son, Hank Roderick, Caroline and Riley Mahan bring their daughter, Anna Winsley, and Meredith Sam Teden bring their daughter, Parker Collingridge.
1: Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Friends, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to renounce evil and repent of your sin? If so, say, we do. Do you confess Christ as your Savior, put your trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord? If so, say, we do. And will you nurture these children in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, profess their faith openly, and lead a Christian life? If so, say, we will. And will you, members of Myers Park United Methodist Church, include these families now before you in your care? Will you proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ? Will you surround these families with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others? And will you pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life? If so, say, we will, we will.
0: Friends, let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but, but chaos, you swept across the waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. When you saw your people as captives in Egypt, you delivered them through the sea. Their children you brought into the promised land through the Jordan. In the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. And he calls on his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection Pour out your Holy Spirit now to bless this gift of water and those who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in your final victory. I'll praise you, Eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Hank Roderick Heinz, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Anna Winsley Mahan, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Parker Collingridge Teton, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You, light that for me. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, therefore let your light so shine before others that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Children of God, as you grow in age, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we rejoice to welcome you to the family of God.
1: God is quick to forgive as we come before our God to confess our sins I invite you to our bulletin for our prayer of confession let us pray together friends gracious God our sins are too heavy to carry too real to hide too hidden even to realize and too deep to undo forgive what we hesitate to name what our hearts can no longer bear Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow into your likeness through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Hear the good news, Christ died for us while we are yet still sinners. That proves God's love toward all of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.
2: The Old Testament reading is 1 Samuel, chapter 16, beginning with the first verse. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. and came to bethlehem and he consecrated jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice when they came he looked at eliab and thought surely the lord's anointed is before him but the lord said to samuel do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because i have rejected him for the lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the lord looks on the heart There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the Word of God for the people of God.
3: Thanks be to God.
0: I've been uh, reiterating over the last couple of weeks his third sermon in a row, I began by saying, I love the Bible. I know you think, well, that's what a pastor's supposed to say. I don't, I don't think I mean I love it as a pastor, I, I love it as a guy. And it's acknowledging that there's a lot in there that is weird, that's confusing, doesn't make any sense. You wonder what in the world uh, was going on. Uh, it doesn't read like a page turner. It's not like a Donna Leone or a Colleen Hoover novel. You know, it's hard. Uh, But I love it, and, uh, you know, it's it's usually these encounters. I'm not a Bible verse guy, like, pull out a Bible verse. If if you do that, you're probably going to misunderstand the book in the same way that if you pulled out something that somebody you know said 17 years ago, that would more likely misrepresent them than represent them well. So to me it's these personal encounters that happen in Scripture, like the one that Marcia just read to us. This one takes place in Bethlehem, and this is before Bethlehem becomes, you know, like Bethlehem. It's just a little town nobody had much heard of. Uh, Jesse lives there. Saul is the king, and they need a new king because Saul has lost his way. Uh, Back then they would have said, Saul has lost his mind. Saul obviously suffered from some kind of mental illness. And it'd be easy for me to say, you know, in the ancient world, they did not understand mental illness well. I'd have to add to that, that in our day, we do not understand or support mental illness well. So Saul's a mess, so there's this clandestine meeting, and uh, Samuel, God's prophet, comes to Jesse's house and says, one of your sons is going to be the next king. Now, I've preached on this passage a number of times uh, in my life, and I've always done the following. Uh, sermon. Uh, I'll give it to you short. It goes like this. Jesse hears, oh, my sons, one will be king. So he brings them out and he lines them up. I always think he starts from the tallest down to the shortest, from the oldest down to the youngest. Here, here's Eliab, and, and Samuel sees him, and Eliab, he, he's tall, strapping, strapping. He's a first child, right? He's like, a, he, he does well. And uh, he's got military experience. He looks like a king. And Samuel says, nah, not that one. And then he goes to the next one, Abinadab. By the way, you parents who are bringing children for baptism, you're not using these Bible names, that uh, Abinadab. Like, that would be great. I baptize you, Abinadab. Be fun. Uh, So it's not him, it's not Shammah. He goes through seven boys, and like none, seems to be the right one. And then he says, do you have any more? We had seven. That was pretty good. And Jesse says, well, uh, there is one, like the little one, the young one. He didn't seem like king material. We left him out in the field watching the sheep. And Sammy says, bring him in. He's the one. There's a lot of bible principle in that god doesn't use you necessarily the strong and able god uses the weak god doesn't just use your strengths god uses your weakness it's it's a lesson about superficiality we tend to judge by oh that person looks great oh look where he lives oh look at the job oh oh we we judge superficially Uh, the verse there's do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature for the lord sees not as we see We look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Uh, I preached that sermon uh, quite a number of times. That's it. And I I guess I could finish right now and say, that's it. And it's got to be two or three of you thinking, I'd be okay (laughs) if he was done now. But I got more. So I rethought this a few years ago. Uh, because it occurred to me that being king back then Israel had barely gotten started. There was no throne. There was no palace. There was no stash of gold. There was no army. It was dangerous to be the king of Israel because you had to lead the people into battle and they had the smallest. They were tiny. They were about to get crushed by the Philistines. So who would really want to be king? And I thought about It's a little clue, right? David's left out in the field, but but it says that he was ruddy and his eyes were beautiful. And that got me to wondering if maybe Jesse brought up these other boys, like, take one of them, but don't take David. he's, He's the young one. He's maybe the pet. He's maybe the one... That Jesse really wanted to keep home for himself he's willing to part with the others but that was parents shouldn't have favorites but boy they just do right that that's the one that just tugs on my heart I want to keep him here for myself and that made me think about ways that parents a lot of your parents with children but it's not just parents sometimes people that love you can actually get in the way of you hearing what God's calling you to do that can happen in a marriage it can happen with friends a lot of people I think about St. Francis, you know, Francis grew up as a wealthy, popular young man, but he heard God's call to to give all that up and become, be in solidarity with the poorest of the poor. And the person most mortified by this was his father, Pietro. His father yelled and hollered, but Francis wouldn't relent, and so Pietro finally took him to court and never spoke to Francis again for the rest of his life. The people in Assisi said that when um, Pietro would by chance pass Francis on the street, he would spit in his direction and turn away. It's tough. I think about Pope Francis. Pope Francis tells that uh, when he was a young man, he went to his mother, very devout, Catholic, and he told her, Mom, I think God's calling me to be a priest. And her mother got, his mother got just enraged. She said, No, 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 no. You, you were pre-med. You're studying to be a doctor. We need a doctor in our family. You can't be a priest. That would just be like a disaster. You need, you need to be a doctor instead. <laughs> he became pope. Francis. Well, that worked out pretty well. I think about my own father, I've told some of you this before, my dad, not a church guy. He wanted me to do what he'd try to do in his life. You know, you kind of start without a lot, but you work hard and you climb up the ladder and you have an ever bigger house and you have an ever nicer car, and then you have money at the end of the game so you can travel and so on. And he wanted me to do that, and we were in the car when I said to him, Dad, I, I think I'm going to go into the ministry. <laughs> Almost didn't, because he nearly crashed the car right up there. And he yelled. He was very upset and trying to talk me out of this. And I remember his very words, by the way. He said, Son, you've got a chance to be somebody. Don't waste it. At the time, that really hurt me. Now I think he was speaking God's word not just to me, but to all of us. You've got a chance to be somebody. Don't waste it. And the question is, what does it mean to be somebody? Who measures what it means to see somebody? So that's another sermon I thought of, but this week what I started pondering, and this is part of what I love about the Bible. I, I have preached on this. I have taught this. I have read this in the original Hebrew. I have read commentaries. The following question never occurred to me until this week, and that is... <laughs> Think about poor Eliab. He comes out there. He's feeling kingly, like, surely I will be the one, and Samuel says, no. Each one of those boys has to put up with, no, and then it's the little shrimp kid. But then Samuel piles on, I think, by saying, the Lord looks on the heart. We look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And you know that Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah are like, what's wrong with my heart? I have a good heart, I'm a good person, I'm not a wicked person. What is wrong with my heart? How did things work out for them over time? And I wonder if we aren't in some way more like those guys than the one that has a heart for God, are we in some ways like those older boys? We've got our—we look good, we've got our achievements, we've got our IQ, we've got our educational degrees, we've got whatever it is that we trot out there and—and But do we have a heart for God? Do you have a heart for God? It's probably easy if you'd hear me ask that and go, oh yeah, yeah, I have a heart for God. But what would that even look like? How would we cultivate a heart for God? And and this question leads me to two other places uh, in the Bible uh, that I treasure. One is this. Now, uh, it's a Bible verse from Romans chapter 12. It figured prominently in my freshman year in college. uh, I went off to college. I was really looking forward to college. I can't say I was looking forward to classes, studying, and learning. I was looking forward to college because I'd heard, this is really fun. (laughs) So I was eager to go to college, and I was uh, rooming with my uh, best friend from high school, and we moved into the dorm room and began to decorate. And uh, his girlfriend, who's still his wife after all these years, she supplied us with a cross-stitched Bible verse. You know, I'd come armed with, I had a Rolling Stones poster, I had a Led Zeppelin poster. I wasn't thinking Bible verse, and it didn't quite fit the ambiance that I wanted to create in my dorm room. But she across this this verse and i've never asked her about it but i believe it was kind of a warning to be sure that we boys would behave romans 12 says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind i wanted to conform like college is like this i want to fit in i want to be a part of that Do not be conformed to this rule. Be transformed. That verse actually goes on to say your bodies are to be presented to God as a living sacrifice. I thought my body was an instrument for my pleasure. What do you mean offer my body as a sacrifice to God? If you have a heart for God, those are the things that are least on your mind. I don't want to be conformed. I don't want to be a conformist. We're so good at that. I want to be transformed. I want my body to be a sacrifice offered to God. And then here's the second thing, now, I have to confess to you professionally, I was away a good bit of this week uh, because uh, Peg Broughton, who is, uh, if you don't know Peg, Peg is our staff member that makes all of this happen. Uh, She's our greatest staff member by far. And her daughter was getting married up in Asheville this week, so I was up there for the wedding, Peg was out, and so neither of us did what we normally do, and that is to proofread the bulletin, and it's in your hands. And it doesn't have anything wrong, it's missing something. And what I would have noticed if I'd proofread is that we were going to print in there the 23rd Psalm, and we were going to recite it together, which is going to be great fun indeed. Indeed. It's not in there and i'm going to attempt to recite it together you know the 23rd psalm and let me suggest to you that you know the 23rd psalm the lord is my shepherd david was a shepherd out in the field maybe the 23rd psalm has some clues to us for us about what it means to have a heart for god now uh the lord is my shepherd that sounds good Uh, when i take groups to israel they're always stunned by something And my first time in Israel, I was stunned like the first hour in the country. What happened? We get there. We're on a bus. We're riding into Israel. And the bus driver turns and says, up ahead, we have a flock of sheep and a shepherd. And everybody gets very excited. Like, oh, man, yeah. We got our cameras. And we get up there, and here's the shepherd. And just let me tell you about him. Uh, He's wearing an Elvis t-shirt. He's running these big green galoshes, slopping around in the mud, and he's got a switch, and he is swatting these sheep on the rear end, hollering what I think are Arabic expletives. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> And it, it makes me wonder if if you have a heart for God. That sounds so sweet, like, oh, I have a heart for God. Ah, oh, the Lord is my shepherd. Maybe if you have a heart for God, you realize that you're like those sheep, and God sometimes feels like that shepherd, like, Kit, Kit, come on. You know, I, I read somewhere, somebody said, sheep, sheep aren't wicked, they're just stupid. Right? Because sheep, they're, they're not wicked. They don't think, I shall revolt against the shepherd. They don't do that. What, what I read is it said that sheep nibble themselves lost, right? They're like, oh, there's a little bit of grass. Ooh, look over there. Oh, there's another blade of grass. Oh, and they're gone, right? <laughs> they nibble themselves lost. Friends, we nibble ourselves lost, like, oh, yeah. I, I, this thing happened to me. I've told a few of this story before, but it just so bears repeating. Uh, Lisa and I were hiking in Yorkshire years back with a couple of friends, and our route took us through all these sheep fields where there wasn't really a good path, and we had to keep our eye on the ground because, you know, not to step in the little deposits that the sheep were making on the ground there. And so we get to this one spot, and there's a big fenced-in area, and there's a lot of sheep there, and I noticed there's this one sheep who's on the wrong side of the fence by himself. Now, we're Americans, we would think, he broke free. Sheep don't feel that way. They want to be in the fence, right? So he's on the wrong side of the fence, and I'm watching him, and he's running up and down the fence, trying to figure out how to get back in. And I'm trying. I think I'll help him. I can't find an opening in the fence. I don't know. And then it was so fascinating. This sheep, he he maybe it was a she. Who knows? He has a conversation with a sheep on the other side of the fence, and it went like this: the Sheep on my side goes ma, and the sheep on the other side looks at him and goes ma. And they did this back and forth. And I thought, what are they saying? And I think one is saying, How did you get over there? The other said, I don't know. How do I get back? The other one says, I don't know. We're just sheep. David is such a sheep, right? He's like mothers, you don't want your daughters to marry. David, he's the worst husband in history. As king, he is ruthless, but maybe he knows. That the, the Lord is my shepherd. I nibble myself lost. This is another thing in that psalm I hadn't thought about until this week. It, you probably haven't either. You've, you've said it all your life. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. But not, oh, green pastures. That sounds so nice. But what about the verb makes? If I say, I'm going to make Nathan do something, that sounds like something Nathan doesn't really want to do, but he's got to do it because I'm his boss. The Lord makes me lie down. There's nothing in our culture or in your nature that says, oh, be still, be still, know that God is God, just breathe. The Lord has to make us do this. What society says is hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, stay busy, do more, you haven't done enough. You got to do more you got to produce more you got to keep charging got to keep going you can't rest oh you have a vacation that's fine but you gotta you gotta go with that too you're never it's never enough it's never enough and it's only the lord who makes you say be still not everything depends on you and your feverish activity i've got the world well in hand you can you should you need to be still you need to rest the psalm says, I shall not want. It's amazing, isn't it? The world says, please want, 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 want more. That's what advertisers do. They come on and they, say, they don't say, do not want. They say, oh, want, want. Whatever you have is not enough. But with, if we have a heart for the Lord, we don't have to want. We think, I have enough. I am enough prayer even becomes this big exercise in wanting oh lord i want this oh lord i want this oh lord i want this maybe prayer cannot be so much i want i want i want but i shall not want i shall just be with the lord somebody counted how many hebrew words are in psalm 23 and the answer is 53. Uh, and what's the middle word and as it turns out, the 26 words before, 26 after, that 53rd word that's right in the middle, is just a preposition, and that preposition is with, with. My friend Sam Wells, who's a pastor over in London, says that that with is not only the center of that psalm, it's also the center of Scripture, it's the center of our theology, it's the most important word that we need to know about God. God is with us. The Bible doesn't say God will protect you from all harm. God will fix all of your problems. God will burn you to a crisp if you don't do the right thing. No, it says that God is with us. When Jesus is born, his nickname is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' last words when he leaves earth are, lo, I will be with you. Sounds disappointing until you think about it. I've said before if you talk to older people you say what's your christmas list what do you want for christmas if they have a list something's profoundly wrong with this person if you ask older people what do you want they'd say i, I just want my people to be with me god is with us What that means is not just God is with me, but I want to be with God. Where is God? Where would Jesus go if you were in the world today? You know, would would he sit down and have a martini at the country club? I don't think he'd be against that, but Jesus is going to be going to, who are the people that break his heart? You know, what's God's mission (laughs) on earth? And can I be with him there? Uh, Here's the last thing. There's a great spiritual writer from about 100 years ago named Evelyn Underhill. I just adore her writings so much. She asked this question of, you know, who says the Lord is my shepherd? And we think, well, the sheep. would say the Lord is my shepherd. She said there's another figure, though, that we could imagine, and that would be the sheep dog. You see sheep in Yorkshire, there's a sheep dog with the shepherd. In Israel, there often is a sheep dog with the shepherd. We had a sheep dog. We got a puppy the same year we got a baby. That was like a bad call for Although, actually, uh, the dog was way more troubled than the baby because uh, the baby didn't, you know, chew on the rug or pee on the floor. It was good. And there's a sheep dog. He's a corgi, and he never saw any shepherding, herding. No dog came and trained him to herd. But then the first time we had a bunch of kids over, and he jumped out in the backyard with them, he began to herd them. They just herd. That's just what dogs do. Here's what Evelyn Underhill wrote about the sheepdog saying the Lord is my shepherd. You want to be one among the sheepdogs employed by the Good Shepherd? I do. (laughs) You want to be one among the sheepdogs employed by the Good Shepherd? Have you ever watched a good sheepdog at his work? He's not an emotional animal. He just, just goes about his job quite steadily. He takes no notice of bad weather rough ground or his own comfort he seldom comes back to be stroked yet his faithfulness his intimate understanding with his master is one of the loveliest things in the world now and then he just looks at the shepherd when the time comes for rest they can generally be found together friends i don't know what all is in your heart when i look into my heart i see a lot of clutter and a lot of racket from the world and a lot of parental stuff all kind of stuff it's just like a clamoring in there what's it it, my deepest heart though is i want to be a good sheepdog for the good shepherd I, i don't i want to be that no matter what the weather is no matter how rough the ground might be I want to be a good sheepdog. I want to be with him. I want to share in his work. You do too. It's your deepest desire. And the good news is that it can be for you, for all of us. Thanks be to God.
3: Let us go to God in prayer. Generous God, we give thanks. We give thanks that we have this season of Lent, a season that beckons us to ease down, a season where we can give gratitude for the pause, for a season where we can benefit from some time to self-examine. God, our prayer is that we, through this practice of Lent, will learn that pausing and slowing down is good. It is good because it helps us see how you see, oh God. Lord, in your mercy. God, we often become blind. We become blind by our skewed perspectives and the limit that we place upon ourselves individually and collectively to the vision of what you would have us see. So forgive us. Forgive us when we blind ourselves and one another. Forgive us when we are not aware of the call or we want to become distant from the call that you have on our lives. Forgive us when we blind others and we bind ourselves to the familiar and remain content with the status quo. Free us, O God, so that we can once again have the clarity that comes from you. Lord, in your mercy, Throughout our daily interactions, O God, we encounter some known and others unknown of those who are struggling, those who are hurting physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. So stir within us through the Spirit a keen awareness that we don't rush on by, that we don't hurry ourselves past an encounter and an opportunity that we make ourselves available to be present, to slow down, to listen, to have open hearts, to have clear minds, that we can meet each other and be here with one another in those times of hurt. Lord, for those who are grieving this morning, Let us be mindful of them. Especially we lift to you the family of Joe Hall, as he has transitioned into the kingdom triumphant. May we as a church be there for the family, surrounding them with prayers and presence. Lord, in your mercy. God, our hearts are always seeking you, whether we admit it or not. So we give thanks for your persistent pursuit of us. And we pray that these remaining days of Lent, that we would be so courageous to course correct our lives so that we are living on earth as it is in heaven. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray our family prayer together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And this morning, we have the wonderful opportunity to hear from Lydia Wright, who will share with us a ministry moment of how this church continues to impact her life.
4: Thank you for having me. This confirmation year has taught me many things. We've learned about the Trinity, Wesley Quadrilateral, and a whole bunch more about Methodist society. One, is, one experience I had was over our fall retreat, opening up our Bibles and discovering biblical stories. It was a quiet and peaceful time to connect with God. In the process, I read Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. I also want to recognize my mentors, Allie Foster and Mark Murphy, who have been tremendous help over my confirmation journey. It has been an amazing experience and I'm looking forward to making new memories on our upcoming spring retreat.
3: Church family, it's through your generosity, it's through your faithful giving, your abundant giving, the ministry such as confirmation occur and continue to thrive. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank mm-hmm. you. Generous God, what a joy it is to give back to you. For these gifts to be used by this church, we pray that we will see as you see, to go to the places of this world where no one else will go, and we will say, here I am. Use us, O Lord. In Jesus' holy name, Amen. amen.
0: OF OUR RISEN LORD AND SAVIOR JESUS CHRIST, THE LOVE OF GOD THE FATHER, AND THE FELLOWSHIP OF THE HOLY SPIRIT BE WITH EACH ONE OF US, BOTH NOW AND FOREVERMORE.